Sandy Mackey here. Hi, this is Al Curtis. And we are having conversations with the pool guy. Well, today I was thinking as I was driving here that everything that we talk about doesn't just apply to the pool business. I think that oftentimes we get into our mode like, well, this is the business that I do. And yet, it's the business that everybody does. It's just, it's a little bit different. The material is a little different. The, but processes and all of that are similar. And I know that we have taken such a radical approach to, first off, business, per conversation this week when with, with the executive of a company saying, you know, this is the most bizarre and interesting conversation I've ever had regarding business. I've never heard of anything like that. And I, was, I was thinking about that, though, and I was thinking how any business could run that way. Any business could, could look at a whole new way, and we've seen some of that in the startup community, the tech community of just doing things different. But I think any business could operate with that flair, and, and so I that's thought that would be something worth ta talking about. That's a really good point. When you talk about any business could do this, they absolutely could, we have really approached our business as a startup after it had been in business for a long time and we wanted to reinvent and create a new energy we started looking at it through a really fresh perspective and I think a lot of the decisions that we make you could actually look at and say they're startup mentality mm -hmm. because they're quirky and they're cool and it's taking a page from the you know internet marketers and people that we've watched that have really interesting methodology and then I was talking to one of our marketing group um, participants the other day, and he was talking about a lot of things that they've implemented in their business after watching what we've done. And I don't know that they're doing the exact same thing, but I think what they have done is taken courage from what they've seen us doing, and they're applying it in their own way. And he was almost giddy with excitement about his carpet cleaning business, saying it's like a completely new business. When he's talking to people about it, they're asking, what are you doing? And he said, we're marketing. And that's, that's really the big secret, but it's making him so excited because he's approaching it in a completely non-traditional, the sky is the, the what limit you're supposed kind of to way. do type of thing. Yeah. And I think that's, it gets to that point that we all get caught into thinking it has to be a certain way. And a pool business does not have to run like every pool business. It can run in a completely bizarre, different way. And I think that's, ours is a very bizarre, different way, but a, a really fun, exciting way. And I think with, with him talking about his business and being excited about it and giving permission, because you're right, they're probably not doing any of the same stuff we are. I mean, maybe they're doing some of it, but they're approaching it from a new perspective that they wouldn't have had, maybe hadn't they been inspired by us looking at things in a new way. But that net result is taking a very established business. I know that business has been around a long, long time, much like our business had been around a long, long time, and having the courage to approach it as a startup, not as a stodgy, here's our systems that we've had in place for so long and they have to stay, but what if we had no systems and we could recreate all of it? And I think any company, I mean, obviously as a company gets bigger, it's hard to modify a lot of, that, a lot of those things, but it's possible. How would a company start? If they're looking at trend-setting companies, whether it's us or someone in their own industry, and they're maybe a little too intimidated to get started, let's talk about some of the 
baby steps, some of the little things that they could start to do to get started? I, th I think in some cases, I've, I've had this battle in my head, whether it starts at the bottom and goes toward and spreads to the top, or if it starts at the top and spreads down. And I don't know that there's a right answer to that. I suppose if the company is large enough and one department starts doing something that spreads throughout the departments then works its way up, that's a possibility. But for most small businesses and, you know, 20 employee, 30 employee or less companies, very easily and probably should be started right at the top. The guy that's in charge saying, you know what, it's okay if we're different. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to approach this differently. That being said, too, often there is someone in the midst of doing the work of the company that would have some great ideas. And if they are too cautious and they don't bring those ideas to the leadership, then maybe no one will ever see it. So I think it's also important that wherever you find yourself at whatever level, you can instigate change. You just have to know maybe who needs to know about it before you kind of go crazy with it. Again, wouldn't you think that's kind of a culture thing? That if the people in charge start using the terminology and using the framework that it's okay to bring fresh new ideas, it's okay to have crazy, weird, awesome ideas and, and share them and maybe we implement them, maybe we don't, versus someone who's at the bottom, if you want to talk a hierarchy of top and bottom, seeing a great opportunity but afraid of stepping on their manager's toes, afraid of whatever. And if we start right from a management perspective, to be open, kind of, the, and that's very much what we did. I think trying to figure out how we started just doing stuff, but I, I could see a real clear path to us management making a decision to open, kind of open our hearts and open the door to anyone in the company. And that's kind of what we did is we said, okay, who wants to say what? And, and which started with, what do you like to do versus what don't you like to do? How can we fit that into it? And sort of open that dialogue with everyone. It didn't matter at what point, whether they were a temporary person working for three days or whether it was someone who's been around for a long time. We've sort of adapted that, and I think that's really helped. Yeah, finding out what people like to do helps everybody participate and be a little bit happier. And I think fundamentally, one of the things that we decided, which this started at the top, is we wanted to have fun. You wanted to have fun. Mm -hmm. I wanted to have fun. We wanted our customers to have fun. And that kind of trickled down to everybody in the company. So if there's one little thing that we changed first, I would say that it was that approach that we want this to be fun. We don't want it to be a drag. We don't want to feel sad when we have to get up to go to work in the morning. We wanted to create enough fun elements that kept everybody kind of inspired and interested. And then as we started to do that, that kept building on itself. And I think that's when we got more into having people identify what are the things they really love to do, what do they like to it, do. And, and yeah, some of those things that we don't love as much that other people do, we can get creative and working together and then you know, making making something that maybe wouldn't be necessarily fun, a more fun task, you know, shoveling trenches. Is that super fun? I can't imagine that it is, but you add that to a little friendly competition or singing and all of a sudden it becomes a group activity 
with camaraderie that makes it, you know, a little bit different than somebody digging a trench. It, it, cuts, it trench. cuts down some of that frustration. And I think that's, you're, I think you're spot on that we decided, let's have fun. If we could, if we do this just to make money but are unhappy doing it or don't want to go to work or don't like our customers or all the things that kind of happen in business but we are supposed to so we continue to do it. I think that would, that's probably a key as we said, let's not do that anymore. Let's have fun with it. Let's have this be a good time. Mm -hmm. And the net result is, is pretty amazing. And not, it didn't take that long to do. No. I mean, that's the thing. It's not like you set a 15-year goal to eventually be this other company. It started almost immediately once we made that decision. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about company culture. It, yeah, I guess that's... I wonder what one of our team members would say about company culture. Uh, that's that's a great question. I wonder if if it's if it's culture. I mean, it, it, it translates as culture, and we can ask our team members whatever we would like. But I wonder if it's culture so much as it is just decision-making. I think the decision to be happy with what we do created a culture that allows everybody to be happy. Because the flip side is we know that, that that decision to be happy and just have a good time with what we're doing could be just us and miserable for everybody else. I mean, we could find unlikely. happiness in making people miserable. Yeah. You're right, that's unlikely. But I, I think those decisions are to decide to be happy with what you do and find the love in what you do. And then that creates a culture that allows everyone to find it. I think one of the big elements in what we do is you were able to find the love in what you do. And simply by people witnessing that, they're able to glimpse kind of another side of life, a side where it's okay to be happy about what you do or inspired. So I think that's something worth mentioning, that until people find their own happiness, if they can look to others who are living their own happiness, I think that helps, helps to inspire as well. It becomes that beacon. It becomes that, that touch point for someone. If you can surround yourself with people who feel good about life and about themselves, that absolutely kind of infuses itself into you. And that's probably another one. There's, we could probably list a thousand little key points that made us become what we've become. But I think there's a few big ones, and the big one was what you started with, with that decision to be happy. But then being willing to share it. Because you can make a decision to be happy, but if you don't share that decision, if you don't verbally put it out into the universe, into the world, into the culture of the company. If I didn't talk that way, if you didn't talk that way, if we didn't have team meetings and talk about what we want it to be and what we want pe how to, for people to feel good about it and have fun and, and how really to find an enjoyment in, in the menial thing. Because a lot of times doing the menial things makes you feel menial. But if you can help someone find the joy in those little bitty tasks or find, you know, give them a new reason to do it, they're far more likely to find it in everything they do. I think that's something that you do out in the field and I try to do as well in the office. Those small little jobs that somebody might not realize how important they are, when you can also paint the picture of how it's a part of the bigger plan. Mm -hmm. You know, doing data entry on the website by itself is not fun, but when we talk about the data entry on the website being a much, uh, or a part of a much larger broad scale, change the world kind of a thing, which it is, then somebody can find a little more enjoyment out of it. And with the construction projects, the minutia of digging up a trench so you can put down a wire 
I know could seem tedious or frustrating, but that wire is what's going to allow the fire bowls to come on with the push of a button or something like that. So mm -hmm. when it's part of a bigger thing, then people can more readily see why they're doing it. I do think that a lot of people have no idea why they're doing what they're doing. It's they're told, do this, do that. And, and even people that have seasoned, have been at it for a long time, and they know that's the process. They know that the next step is to do this, but they don't understand why. And I don't think that anyone typically tells them why. They just sort of learn the process of step one, step two, step three, step four, and they don't really realize that step three causes that to happen. They just do it because, well, the last time we did it this way, this time we'll do it this way. And as soon as you give people the, uh, an understanding of that, I think it helps. One of the really great things that we do is on some of our projects, when we come to a culmination point, we have the open house so that our team members can come back to the finished product, meet with the homeowners, find out you know that everybody is super happy. And I'm just equating that to maybe a company where you have a crew that comes in and does one little element and then they move on to the next job and maybe they don't ever come back to that whole finished product. So I think that's something to be conscious of in any business. If you've got people that only ever see one little part of something, have a reason to get everybody back together to so they can see the whole thing and take ownership and pride that, sure, my little part was early in the process, mm -hmm. but it resulted, the net result is this you know, beautiful thing or this amazing product or whatever that is. And sometimes that might get missed, and that might lead to people not realizing how valuable they are. I think that's a, a that's a perfect example, and I have a story that, that that is that thing exactly that happened to me many years ago, and I think it illustrates that point. So years ago, this was before we were doing business the way we were doing it, that we do it now. We had a gunite company that came in and shot a gun, the gunite shell for us. And Pat, the layout guy, who had at that point been laying out swimming pools for 25 years, at least, his job was simply to stake out the yard and put the stakes in and the, and the, the batter boards around, and that's it. And that's what he saw. I don't know that, I mean, I'm sure in some cases he saw them come in and then excavate the pool and whatever, but he rarely saw beyond that. And he was really good at that, and he continued to do that. Well, we were laying out a pool one day, and he, he and I were going back and forth about how we thought it should look. And I'm like, no, I insist it's this way, and he wanted to do it a different way. And, of course, it was my job, so I'm going to do it the way I want to. And it got him to thinking, you know, there's a pool just right around the corner here that we did several years ago. Uh, it, it was really cool. Let's go look at it. So we got into his truck, and we drove over to this pool, literally, you know, ten houses over or something. And we walked into the backyard. The homeowner happened to be there in the garage and remembered who he was. And so we, he said, we just want to come look. And I remember him walking around the pool. And then as we drove away, he said, so that wasn't as big as I thought. It wasn't as cool as I thought. You know, I guess in my head, when I was seeing it, it wasn't that at all. So here's this great example of a guy who is very opinionated about how he does his job very opinionated, and yet he never sees the, the end result, so he really doesn't know why he's arguing to do something a certain way. And I, that was an aha moment for me, for sure. That was something I, I put right, in the, right into the old, i got to always remember to pay attention to this. 
and he was really disappointed as to how that the end product looked. And I realized then he never got to see any of it. All he ever saw was literally step number one of the pool after the, all the sales and stuff was done. Step number one in the construction was all he ever saw. Never saw the end product. So he, as much as he was good at that, and he could be proud of doing that, he never got to see what it really meant in the end. And what a great example of, that's 25 years of him doing it to never really get to see a pool. You know, how about anyone along the way being being able to see what they're working toward? Well, that's one of the things we've also done with our suppliers, who we go into the supply house and we say, we need this, and it's for a pool, and they get us the part, but they never really come out on the site to see the jobs or see why the part that they're finding for us is important. What it means. So we've brought books of our photos and different things in to show them. We've also invited them to try to get them out to come visit some of our jobs. Because I think that helps as well. When they're sitting behind a counter as an order taker, it, it's they, they, maybe they not as know. fulfilling as it could be when you know that your order is that you're taking is going out to this job that's going to end up looking like a mm -hmm. pirate-themed castle, mm -hmm. you know. And, and that's a really good point from the, the supply chain end, is that guy, like you said, is an order taker. He came from another industry, and, and again, this is not just pools, this is any industry. Yeah. But they get used to seeing parts and where they are on the shelves and where the racks and which row and what that stuff is. But rarely do they know what it does. And when they can witness it, now they become an integral part of why that looks so cool. They were a piece of it. As small or as big as it was, they were part of it and they can connect with it as well. And that's a powerful place to put your supply chain is to help them understand what the end result is and there's there's a there's a magical piece right there that anyone anyone building anything that has a supply chain for anything really should take a good hard look at is how could we involve the supply chain in the overall end product use mm -hmm. and that could be purely online the guy that's just doing programming that has no idea what the programming is ultimately going to do if he could see that end product then what he puts in over here becomes that much more special. One of the other elements of this is homeowners. I know a lot of times homeowners have an idea of what they'd like, but maybe they don't understand why, or if you suggest putting the roof this way versus that way, maybe they're not seeing the whole picture yet either. So I think that's another element. Homeowners, when they're making some decisions during the design process, some of their ideas should be considered and some of their ideas perhaps mm -hmm. you know not should, as much. Should, well and, and that's a point for the designer end to help them understand why that's not appropriate as much as in your head that might look really good but if there's really practical functional reasons to not do it that way and they insist I think from a design standpoint we have to at least be willing to share and then sometimes you have to compromise and do and I've got that great example of that is putting a you know putting a pool house one spot versus another where I wanted it versus where they wanted it and I ultimately said fine we'll do it where you want it and it, it didn't create the shade there was it was the sun was always glaring right into the eyes of people and had we just turned it and moved it 30 feet and turned it a little bit it would have been this great shade area where they didn't have to always worry about 
the sun blaring in their eyes and all of that. And on my end, I think I did as much as I could do. And yet I also look back at that and as awesome as it is, I realize that's still something that could have been improved on. Mm -hmm. That had I been strong enough with a strong enough opinion or an understanding or a way to express it. Ability to a, be it. a better way to express it. That that's on me. That's not on them. That's on me. And if, if I had had a better way, that, pro that project is awesome as it was could have been that much better and that much better could have meant everything mm -hmm. and they're thrilled with it now but they recognize and they mention to me we see what you mean now so the more that we are working with people that are finding their own joy in things or joy in the smaller pieces I think the more that we're reminded that when we only look at the big picture sometimes, we miss the mark, but when we focus on those things or those specialties or that special knowledge, you have the special knowledge of exactly how the pool house should be set in the yard for it to work, or the carpet cleaner who has the specialized knowledge of how to make it spectacular. When we focus on that, and I know Seth Godin talks a lot about being really good at the thing that you're really good at, when we focus on that, I think is where some of that joy comes from as well. If we try to be all things to all people, it falls a little short. You, you get lost. But in if it. we get mm -hmm. really excited about those things that we're really special in, mm -hmm. I think that's where some of the magic starts to happen. I agree. Uh, we're business-wise, business world-wise. It's always about getting more, and it's important to have more work and to have so much work and all of that. And yet, when we lose the focus of the thing that we really love to do, number one, we don't make any more money. It, it looks like we do because the revenue goes up, but we uh, we typically don't make more money, and we don't feel as good. So if there's a way of being specialized and really loving that specialty, there's more than enough work for every specialty out there. You just have to first know what it is that you want to do, and then secondly, figure out how to attract the people. And that's the marketing end that, again, like your conversation earlier with someone who just found a way of loving marketing because it's not doing it in a traditional way. That's all. That's all it takes because there's enough people out there. Well, the secret in there, which I think is the perfect place for us to jump into our next podcast, is when you know what your specialty is, you market that, and that's where the magic really starts to happen. I I couldn't say it any better. Market that thing. Market your specialty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I well, agree. maybe I, they'll tune let's, in next time. Let's, let's make that a wrap for now. I I think closing thoughts would be. Be open. Instead of running your business the way it's run because it was run that way all along. Now, everyone doesn't have to do that. Some people, people's businesses are running perfectly fine, and they're thrilled with it the way it is. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, yeah. if you're looking for that, what could make it better? What could make it different? What could make me enjoy it more? There's an awful lot of little things you can do to make the business be more fun, feel better, have a good time, maybe make more money, all those things. And the net result is you just feel better about what you do. Absolutely. So, Join, next time. Us. Join us next time.